0: Follow along as I read. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription. ...and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am the king of the Jews... Pilate answered, What I've written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son then he said to the disciple behold your mother from that hour the disciple took her into his own household after this jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture said i'm thirsty a jar full of sour wine was standing there So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, Asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out and he who had been seen or he who had seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you also may believe for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture not a bone of him shall be broken and again another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but in secret for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures always. Father, thank you for your word. We would be hopeless people groping about in darkness if it were not for your word, your revelation. You've given us such clear information. And then on top of that, for your people, You've given the Holy Spirit to guide us into all this truth. So we thank you and ask now that you would bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, every once in a while, you know, you come to talk, tell your parents something. And you're, you're, maybe you're beating around the bush a little bit. Maybe you're, you're wanting to say a few things to set it up for them. You know, to make it a little easier for them to hear what you broke. And then they say, just, just get to the point. What are you trying to tell me? Anybody ever had that happen? I see people smiling, so they know. Parents, particularly, are smiling right now. Yep, they've had that one. Well, I'm going to get right to the point. We could spend a good deal of time rehearsing the details of the egregious injustice that's being perpetrated against Jesus here. But we've already touched on that earlier. So we're not going to spend more time about how, how horrific this was. Just suffice it to say, this had to take place. As we read in the scriptures, all these things had to take place so that we might be saved. Okay? Okay second thing we might do is look at all of these fulfillments of Scripture. And they're not insignificant. It's no small thing that everything that's taking place here is a fulfillment of an Old Testament Scripture. It's no wonder that Paul says every, every promise that was made is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He didn't say some. He didn't say some that would have to be put off to the end. He said everyone was fulfilled. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, isn't it? He's the fulfillment of it all. Everything you see in the old covenant pointed to Jesus and had its fulfillment in Jesus and his church. It's remarkable. We could spend a lot of time talking about the fulfillment of these scripture passages, but just keep in mind, it's just what... John says in verse 35 all of this so that you also may believe we saw that at the very beginning didn't we in John chapter 1 and we look to the end of John where he says this is why I wrote this that you might believe that the Lord Jesus is the Savior of sinners and therefore you might have life and have it abundantly and every At every point, I've tried to be conscious and point out to you, John makes this point over and over and over. Almost every time someone doesn't believe, John will bring in, oh, but some did. God's people, those for whom Christ died, will always believe. He'll always have his people. But I've also pointed out to you that John goes about this with not disregard for the historical narrative. He doesn't change the facts around. He doesn't, he doesn't embellish the stories. He just uses the historical narrative for a primary purpose, and that is to teach us a lot of theology. This is really a theologically oriented gospel, unlike the synoptics, as they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is an outlier. He's, he's different. He's doing this for a different purpose, ultimately, that we might believe. But in order for us to believe, we have to have something to believe. And that's a body of doctrine. So if you've ever heard anybody say, you know, I'm just not really into doctrine, then they're not into Jesus. I'm sorry. You don't have anything to believe about Jesus if you don't have a doctrine to believe. Theology... Is vital to our lives. So let's get right to this, and I can already see this is going to be pushing. So, Pastor Morris, uh, we had planned for him to preach both sermons next week in lot of that'll be the eve of my surgery. But uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna usurp some authority and say I, I just may preach next week too. We'll see how this goes. First point: the King and Mediator is the crucified one. That's verses 17 through 22. The king and mediator is the crucified one. We see John emphasize the kingship of Jesus with the notice that was placarded in the common languages of the day. We have, uh, I read this morning from the uh, New American Standard 1995 edition. Um, You may have been reading from uh, the ESV or some other translation uh, that you have with you. And it may have said that the languages were Hebrew and Latin and Greek. Uh, It may have said Aramaic Latin and Greek. The Aramaic was the Hebrew of the day. It was the Jewish Hebrew of the day. And so, uh, it doesn't matter which way it goes. It's the it's meant to communicate. This is that he was he was Pilate was placarding on the cross this sign so that the Jews, the local countrymen, could read it, and it was also written in Greek, which was the language of the Roman world at the time. And it was also in Latin, which was the universal language. And those of you who travel internationally know that uh, English serves the purpose of Latin today, although English is not nearly as good a language as Latin, uh, not nearly as precise and beautiful. But nevertheless, we're stuck with it. And, uh, and so English is that universal language. Greek was for the Roman world, and the Hebrew slash Aramaic was for the for the Jews there in their country. And we're told that this was this was in 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 such a visible place that many of the Jews remember what time it is. This is Passover. That's what it means when it says it was not just the it was not just the Sabbath, but it was a High Sabbath. It was a special Sabbath. It was the Passover had, had had lined up with the Sabbath day in this case. And there's many people there. There's, the, there's the, the pigeons and the bulls and the goats and the sheep all just flooding the city. It would have been a wild time as I said a few weeks ago. That's the reason that Pilate... Uh, had his soldiers out there in force was to be sure that nothing got out of hand with all these crowds. But he tells this to the whole world, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. I'm not going to spend time on the kingship of Jesus. That's already evident in this passage. Chapter 18, a few weeks ago we looked at that. Jesus says, that's why I was born. That's why I came. And we, we, we looked at what's the whole point of him being a king. Well, Paul tells us that a kingdom is the spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. Jesus said my kingdom is a kingdom of, of another realm. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a dominion that I exercise over my people wherever they may be found. So we've been through that. No reason to go over that again. But it's important for us not to lose sight. The Jews come and they said, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Don't put the king of the Jews, put up there that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate, just one more time, we've seen this several times, Pilate just, just driving... The needles, sticking the little sharp knives, any way he can go about it, he just he's he's loving this. He and Herod have become friends over antagonizing the Jews. And he says, "No, what I've written, I've written. Live with it. You're stuck with it. You're gonna to have to. You're gonna to have to live with this." And remember, Pilate, wicked Pilate. Had already said, I could, yeah, you know, I can't find anything. There's not one thing this man has done wrong. So, he puts this placard. Now, he's wanting to provoke the Jews. Obviously, he seems to be living for that today, on this day. But the bottom line is, God had what he wanted on that cross even though Pilate didn't know that he was doing God's bidding. The whole world was being told this is the king. This is the king. People still deny that. It doesn't matter. Romans 1 tells us that people suppress the truth it's just the nature of sin is to suppress truth but he's the king all of his all the spiritual descendants of Abraham are subjects of his we're part of that today I remember years ago hearing an English friend of mine preaching, and he said, you Americans have a real problem because you don't believe in monarchies. Therefore, you don't believe in kings. And so you don't know how to submit to a king rightly. And Jesus is a king to be submitted to. And he was right. Because of our the nature of who we are as Americans, we... We struggle sometimes with this concept of Jesus being our king. But he's a benevolent king. He's a good and godly king. As I prayed earlier in his providence, he is meeting out all the gifts that we need, all the good things we need, even though we don't deserve it. Don't you love that? that portion I used in the prayer from our confession concerning providence, that he does all these good things, the rain falling upon the wicked as well as the just, he does all this. But he's particularly and specially minded toward his people. And he does especially good things for them. He's the king. It's about Christ ruling and overruling all of his enemies and those of his church. We see John also emphasizes the mediatorial work of of Jesus here. That is easier to miss if you're not careful. Did you notice it, though, in verse 18? There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Now, this is not incidental. This is, this is not, John, just a throwaway line here. One on either side and Jesus in between. He was high and lifted up. So he's hanging there between God and man. But he's also between men. And that's the mediatorial work of Christ. Christ the mediator. He's the mediator Paul tells us, between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But he's also the mediator between men. Children, some ask your parents this afternoon if Jesus has ever mediated between your mom and your dad. Has he ever stood there and helped them sort out their differences? And every godly parent will say, oh, yeah, many times. Dad's thinking this. Dad's saying this. Mom's thinking this. Mom's saying that. They've come to an impasse, and they commit it to prayer. They go to the scriptures, and they come to reconciliation. That's the mediatorial work of Jesus. He's not just the mediator, and this is... Important, this is vital for us and for our salvation. He's not just the mediator, however, between God and man. He's the mediator between us as individuals. He's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace vertically, and he's the prince of peace horizontally. If he's not, then he's not the Lord. But he is. He's able to do all that we need. Everything whatsoever, he's able to do. Notice, too, that the mention of crucifixion focuses on those who did the deed. In verse 18, there they crucified him. What? No description? No big deal about the, 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 the stakes being driven through, through, his, through his hands here. Nothing about his feet being pierced. Nothing about all how bloody he was and how blood was just streaming down. Nothing about how he was naked. I mean, there's mention that they're dividing his clothes, but there's no mention that he's naked. And so people could see all of his bones exposed there. But I said this weeks ago, that's not John's point. That's not any of the gospel writers' point. Hollywood loves it because it's sensational. Not to mention a violation of the second commandment, but we won't go down that one. But it's sensational. Blood and guts and gore, that's what Hollywood sells. That's not what the Bible's selling. The Bible's selling the sinfulness of man here. Do you notice the emphasis is on they crucified him? Two of the synoptic writers put it this way. The, it just simply says the crucifying ones put him between two men. So it's particularly focused on them. We used to sing in my previous life, were you there when they crucified the Lord? Well, the fact is we were. And we were either the soldiers who spat upon him. We were either that that one It's hanging on one side of him who was railing against Jesus. Or we were with Christ on the cross. But we were part of that party that crucified the Lord. We're the reason he was there. He didn't deserve it. That's the the egregious part of this. He didn't deserve this. But he did it, as Paul tells us, the righteous one. Took our unrighteousness so that we might have his righteousness. That's what's taking place. John doesn't want us to miss that. This is about sin. This is about the wrath of God being poured out on the Son. This is not about the wrath of man so much. It's the wrath of God. It's about both. Sinners are doing it, they're culpable. But then the sky goes dark, as we're told elsewhere. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we read in Psalm 22. And there the Lord shows his hand. He's the one pouring out the wrath. Jesus, the mediator. It's about sinners. Sin brings shame, sin brings fear. We can go back to the garden incident when Adam fell into sin. We see shame, we see fear and sin ultimately brings death. As the children's catechism says, it, it brings us into a state of misery. Instead of happiness and holiness, We're miserable. Sin brings all the misery you and I experience in this life. And sin is right here personified in they crucified him. And this is why Jesus came. He came to save his people from their sins. And this is why he died. The cross is about sin being propitiated about sin being dealt with about sin being cast as far as the east is from the west it's about sin being plunged into the deepest part of the ocean about sin being put behind God's back and his back is infinite that's a beautiful image that the old testament writer makes you can't even see around God he's infinite You can't peek around. You can't find it east to west. You don't even know which way to start looking and you don't know how far that is anyway. That's the king and mediator. He came to be crucified, to suffer and to die for sinners like us. Now here's the question. Do you know you're a sinner? I had an interview this, this past week with a, uh, a friend of, uh, of Sarah and Sean's. Uh, she's been here and worshipped with us from Texas. Uh, some of our men who've been to General Assembly in the last few years have met Zoe. Uh, I was talking with her this week, and uh, I was just reminded in talking with her, we were were talking about how important it is and one of the issues in our church, our beloved PCA right now, is is the, the law and the proper use of the law. One of the uses of the law is it's a rule of life. We look to the law to know how we're supposed to live according to God's standards. But another one of the the uses of the law, the three uses as we often refer to them, or if we want to use the, the universal language of the time we're reading about, Latin, tertius usus, the three uses. One of the uses is that it's a schoolmaster. Remember Paul saying that to the Galatians? It's supposed to show us our sin and point us away from ourselves to Jesus. Supposed to, supposed to show us how sinful and horrible we are. And as I was talking to Miss Zoe, I was reminded of an old black preacher I heard once. He said, I got to preach to get them lost before I can preach to get them saved. Now, he can't get you lost because you're already lost. And he can't get you saved because only God can save you. But his point was a good point. If you don't if you don't understand you're a sinner, if you don't understand, as we see next week, Pastor Morris, if you don't understand that you're one of the soldiers, that you're one of the, the thieving insurrectionist on either side of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, No, I've never done anything that bad. I'm I'm sorry. We have. We've 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 acted treasonously toward God. Right? If we we're Baptists, some of you would be saying, Amen right now. So don't, don't try to say no. Paul says, he gives us litany, litany, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, those habitually drunk, verbal abusers, swindlers. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But notice, there's the good news, isn't it? I mean, the bad news is there. That's who you are by your nature. Did you notice the good news? It's in the past tense. It's such were some of you. Christ comes and all things become new. We're going to see that next week. You say, wait a minute. We just read it. Where was that? Well, it's when woman... Behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Right here in the middle of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, John says one last thing before Jesus says it's finished. And it's that last thing. Well, he was just concerned about his mother. Oh, it was more than that. He wanted us to understand that For those who are in Christ Jesus, everything becomes new. Our relationships are changed. There's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or female, slave or master, male or female. It's all changed. It's all new. There may be someone here this morning, and you're you're ready. I need something new. I heard the testimony of a young woman as I drove five minutes from the house. Her testimony was this. I woke up having been drunk, lost all my friends because they got tired of me in this condition. And I called out to the Lord knowing that I needed a new start. That the old me, nobody liked, and I didn't either. That may be where you are. Maybe not drunk. But it may be simply, I need, I need new. And that's what the gospel is all about. Such were some of you. But now, in Christ Jesus, there's nothing to fear. There is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus did on the cross as the king and the mediator. And that's what he continues to do for his people until the consummation of the ages. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd give us all faith to believe that, that we might not look to ourselves, that we might not consider ourselves too good or too bad, but that we look to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of sinners. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.